Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we have honest, soulful, passionate, and compassionate conversations about the lived reality of human sexuality. We have been the Pleasure Mechanics for 15 years now. What? And we've been generating online resources for you so you can experience more pleasure, joy, and erotic connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com where you will find all of what we have to offer you and go to PleasureMechanics.com slash free to get started. On today's episode, A, we are back with a brand new episode of Speaking of Sex. It's been a slower production time because of hashtag COVID-19. And I was just reflecting, Charlotte, you know, it's February 2021. About a year ago now is when I went to New York City and came home. The whole family got sick for, oh, I don't know, three months. And so began our year of coronavirus. So it's been a year, folks. And thank you all for hanging in with us. Thank you to our Pleasure Pod members for your ongoing support. If you love this show and want to support what we do, go to pleasuremechanics.com slash pod, where you can join our inner circle. But we had to get back on the mics because it is February. And so Valentine's Day is in the air. And this always gets me riled up because the history of Valentine's Day is epic and amazing. And we want to share it with you. Every year we share pieces about the history of Valentine's Day, but we've never really fully laid it all out. So we are really excited to dive into this history and share some of this with you because it is fascinating and nuanced and bloody and (laughs) carnal and gory and sexy and interesting. Um, All of our Valentine's Day resources are there for you at pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day. That's pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day. And we will link to our previous episodes we've done around this time of year about romance, gift giving, how to have more epic sex. We've done great series around Valentine's Day each year. Um, And as we approach 400 episodes, folks, we have so many resources for you and we are doing our best to organize them at pleasuremechanics.com. So when in doubt, head over to there, use the sex index and go to pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day for all of our resources around this theme and topic and all of our previous resources and for amazing visuals on what we're about to share with you, because we are about to introduce you to the over 2000 year history of this holiday. Why on February 14th do we celebrate love and romance with hearts and cupids and chocolates and flowers, right? Where did this all come from? Why do we celebrate it at this time of year particularly? What's the history here? And I want to lay all of that out for you. If you can't tell, we're excited. Um, But I also want to talk about it through the lens of culture making and meaning making because we need to remember holidays are one of the ways we make culture at a communal scale but also at a very personal family level scale and an individual scale the traditions you celebrate and how you relate to these annual festivals and festivities and holidays and rituals really shape our lives and can play a part in us taking kind of more agency over all elements of our lives, including the erotic elements of Valentine's Day. So 
anything you want to say before we dive in? Just as we listen to this, notice how culture is made and then remade. We inherit these rituals and stories and then we remake them and redesign them. And it's such an opportunity to see how we can do that for ourselves now to create holidays and festivities that we desire that is honoring what we want to be honoring in our life and valentine's day is one of those holidays people have a response to one way or the other they love it they hate it they feel repulsed or attracted to the kind of prepackaged romantic ideals of the holiday um, but all holidays as we grow up as children a our family has a certain culture around it we notice the um, grander kind of national culture around it and we have a response, like as an individual within that culture, we have a response of attraction or repulsion. Um, and some of these holidays we need to reclaim and make new meanings on top of. And what we've noticed as a family, um, before we dive into the history, is that you can make new traditions on purpose. And after a couple years, you start looking forward to your kind of homegrown, homemade traditions that you've anchored in certain times of the year that are appropriate for where you live, that reflect your values. And now that we have a kid, like our traditions have become her traditions. And we see in this very intimate, personal way, how we can create meaning in our lives through holidays, rituals, um, even when it comes down to it, decorations, our meaning making objects. So let's dive into Valentine's Day, because what we experience now, and we'll kind of loop back to this at the end, this multi-billion dollar industry of flowers and chocolate and cards, of pre-packaged romance that we are expected to buy, trade, and barter, and expect and get frustrated when they don't come our way and kind of hold ourselves like how much are, is being spent on us then reflects our worth. A lot of us kind of fucking hate that with good reason and yet are attracted to this holiday of love and romance and an opportunity to tell one another how we feel. Even if it's a Hallmark card, that can be some of the most meaningful moments in our year because it really does center relationships in a way other holidays don't, intimate relationships. So Valentine's Day, February 14th. Why this day? Why this holiday? We need to take you back 2,500 years to a cave side in rural Italy, where at the birth of the Roman Empire, a she-wolf suckled the twins of Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome. This mythology, this place, this cave, um, recently was actually excavated by archaeologists, um, started a festival called Lupercalia. Lupercalia. The cave's name was Lupercal. And this festival was celebrated at this time, February 14th, 15th, every year. So we are in the 8th century BC, and this is a pagan purification and fertility festival that was celebrated around February 13th, 14th, and 15th. It was called Lupercalia. And let's take a deep breath, folks. There's some trigger warnings here. We're going to be talking about animal sacrifice and erotic purification rites. But that first piece, we just want to warn you about. Yes. 
So as was common in many Roman festivals, there was animal sacrifice. This was for fertility and purification. And then they took the goat hides and made them into strips and dipped them into the blood and whipped um, <laughs> whipped women for blessings of fertility. Because okay, language is important here because this is where like the gaze of archaeology and history can get really interesting. Um, and you, when you use the word like whipped women, so they made what are essentially small floggers, small little thrashing devices with the strips of fresh goat hide, which were then dipped into the blood and young fertile men ran around thrashing and anointing with this sacrificial ritual blood, the young fertile available maidens of the town. And they are naked and wearing goat capes, by the way, goat hide capes. And I just think it's really important because what and we, you know, we are not we should, you know, big asterisks, we are armchair historians, learning about this and sharing it with you. Um, And we are, we're presenting things to the best of our understanding. And if there are any geeks out there, um, we love being in conversation with you about all of this. Um, But the image here of animal sacrifice, creating these tools, and the communal ritual, sacrifice, celebration, purification rites, um, fits in with our understanding of ancient Rome and the way they celebrated around the calendar and the way they created these devotional rituals to different deities and gods and energies, right? So we need to understand this partly because the month of February is named after this ritual flogger device. I kid you not. This is one of these moments in history you kind of slam into a fact and you're like, what? And this is still with us today and it's amazing. So the category of February, 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 was the category of purification ritual devices used at this time of year. So salt and spelt are also included in this. And this thrashing device made out of goat hide. So it's fascinating, you know, and when the gaze, I'm going to just zoom out here again for a moment. The gaze of BDSM is often like you see a flogging and it's like, oh, that's violent and it must hurt and people will like pain. And when you're in the flogging, it feels amazing and good and you're in a trance and it's like a ritual often. And so I want to take that awareness into our kind of historical gaze back at this time and imagine this as a pagan ritual. So this festival of Lupercalia was celebrated for like 1200 years in this region of ancient Rome. Um, So we have all of these elements, right? The color red, fertility, purification, the beginnings, the very first whispers of spring in the air. And this date is known in this region as a festival date. So the next chapter in our story is Catholic saints, some of which are beheaded. Next trigger warning. All right. In the fifth century, the Pope at the time turned Lupercalia into a Catholic feast of St. Valentine on February 14th. So there was this early Catholic strategy of replacing pagan rituals and festivals with Christian ones. So they did this with spring equinox, they turned it into Easter, winter solstice, they turned it into Christmas. And he wrote a doctrine about integrating church and state. So kind of layering these Catholic rituals on top of pagan rituals to make them familiar and to to work with something that was familiar and make it 
Catholic. So who was St. Valentine? The Feast of St. Valentine's Day was declared for the 14th. It turns out there's a bunch of martyrs who can claim the name of St. Valentine. Legend has it that the St. Valentine, who um, would claim this holiday, was probably a man who was imprisoned for wedding Christian couples in love and defying the Roman laws of marriage. And then while imprisoned, uh, this man named Valentine tried to uh, convert the emperor at the time who was enraged and cut off his head as seemed very common at the time because maybe there was another Valentine that taught a young girl to read and on the night before his beheading signed a card, your Valentine. Um, So we have a few of these potential St. Valentines, but the legends that the Catholic martyrdom book spun about these men were very much about kind of a chaste, pious Christian love. And so that is what was kind of folded into this feast day, which we should remember the Catholic Church had lots of feast days and saint days. Um, So there was nothing particularly that special about St. Valentine's Day. It kind of took over and appropriated Lupercalia, but there was nothing particularly um, popular about it. And it didn't certainly celebrate romantic love for about a thousand years. Dun, dun, dun. And this is the years of the Holy Roman Empire and the medieval ages. And meanwhile, the imagery of the rose and the sacred heart, um, birds, all of these imagery were being folded into the art of the time. Medieval art, which was mostly Christian art, right? Church art um, used the themes of the heart a lot as the sacred heart of Christ Um, And the martyr heart was often exposed. So we have that image of the red heart and the bird of the Holy Spirit, the dove. Um, So we can see kind of the imagery um, popularizing through the church art. Okay. But then romance wasn't brought in until 1375 when the English poet Geoffrey Chaucer Um, has the first record of Valentine's Day as a romantic celebration. But we're talking about the romance of birds. Totally. (laughs) Which I think, you know, we talk about like, oh, Chaucer made Valentine's Day about romance, but he was talking about birds mating in this poem. And Chaucer often took liberties of connecting his poem with popular um, themes and holidays and places which you think he's just like a brilliant artist of his time. Like sometimes I think of like, how would Chaucer use Instagram, you know? Um, (laughs) But like Chaucer often linked his epic poems with common themes um, to give them a little more gravitas. And so he used St. Valentine's Day to talk about the mating of birds. And it was in a poem called The Parliament of Fowls, which is birds. Fowls like birds. Yeah. So he... (laughs) That was great bird sounds. (laughs) And then in 1400, in the courts of France, France, you have uh, the establishment of what was called the court of love. And courting culture was very um, big at the time. It's big on Instagram. Um, And this was all about the courtly love and the wooing and the seduction and poetry. Um, And the court of love used these symbols of roses and hearts 
and they declared their big gathering day where this society, court society, um, would meet was on February 14th. So for me, that kind of cements in history this holiday as this kind of um, aesthetic of courtly love, of romantic love, of poetry and flowers and seduction and wooing um, kind of started, right? And so we're now at 1400. And again, at pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day, we will have galleries with some of this imagery so you can kind of see the evolution of this. Um, because there are things we're leaving out, like this history is so interesting. I think we could write like theses about it. Um, the heart shape, right? We talked about the sacred heart shape and the early representations of the anatomical heart, but there's also legend and lore of the heart shape being the shape of a seed that was used for fertility and conception in ancient Rome. So that shape was already woven into these, into these fertility rituals and rites, um, and culture. So it's just so fascinating to me how we iterate and build on one another over the centuries. But they're okay. also not sure because historians are not totally sure about the heart r- image because it could also be a representation of breasts, of the butt, of, or of the, the anatomical heart or the vulva. Mm-hmm. It's all of these. Uh... So what do you think the heart yeah. represents? <laughs> like, let's just take a pause in the history because we're about midway through. We're 1400. Um, we've talked about Lupercalia and then the Catholic claiming of the holiday for St. Valentine's and how that was then cemented into European courtly culture with the court of love in 1400 and Chaucer's poetry. So what do hearts represent to you when you see a big old red heart? Like, where does your body go? What does it represent to you? What does it feel like to you? Um, Is it something you want? Does a lover presenting you with a big red box of chocolates like feel like, yes, please? Or do you feel a little repelled by that symbolism? We all have an intimate relationship with these symbols. And I think it's a really worthwhile moment to explore that. (sighs) So from 1400 on, we have this courtly culture of poetry and romance And this imagery and art persists through the centuries. And we arrive in the early 1800s and the dawn of popular printing and mainstream media. Um, We arrive at the point of culture where things can be printed cheaply enough that they can be bought and sold by common folk and where they can even be bought, sold and then disposed of or tucked away as a memento. Um, They are no longer like individual books bound in gold and leather and held in libraries over the generations. And historians say Americans probably started exchanging handmade Valentines in the 1700s. Um, And when I say Americans, also probably in England and continental Europe. Um, And then in the 1800s and in the Victorian era is when we get mainstream printing and commercial Valentine's culture. And there was a woman named Esther Howland who lived here in New England of North America. And she was the child of a um, clothing maker. And so she started gathering scraps of lace and fabric and making these handmade Valentines that used the imagery of court culture, the roses, the doves, the hearts, 
um, and collecting up all these scraps and making what we kind of know if you think of like the Valentine's Day, the very like archetypal Valentine's imagery was invented by this woman, Esther. So shout out to Esther and her business became so popular that she had to hire a bunch of women and put together a manufacturing line and then sold the business. So early entrepreneur and she was unmarried. Um, so she went shout to Mount, out to Esther. <laughs> she went to Mount Holyoke and her assembly line for making all the Valentines were all women. And she was called the mother of the Valentine. Mm. All right. So we get to the um, publishing of Valentines. And so from Esther's assembly line, we then get into mass produced printed Valentines, which becomes a huge business. This holiday really takes off um, something people can buy at a working man's wage and send and declare. And they were pre-printed with poetry and imagery. Um, An interesting twist here is that at this time, so we're in 1847, about half of the Valentines sold were what they called vinegar Valentines. And these vinegar Valentines were cruel, humorous, kind of like the early internet trolling, right? Again, it's like those early anonymous trolling, cruel humor. And so vinegar valentines, instead of the romantic, flowery, lovey-dovey poetry, often featured comical verses, um, which ranged from kind of light-humored rejection to full-out, cruel, mean, often racist, sexist, fat-phobic, anti-Semitic humor. And this kind of reflected the popular morality of the time and the culture wars that were going on. Um, Charlotte's going to read us a more lighthearted one. And I will put some of them on our website. And then if you get interested in this, you can just Google search Vinegar Valentines and see some of the more cruel hearted ones that we will not reproduce. Um, But Charlotte will read one. So in this image, a woman is handing a man a huge lemon and what it says is to my valentine tis a lemon that i hand you and bid you now skidoo because i love another there is no chance for you burn i know <laughs> at the time there was an option where postage was due upon receipt so it was sort of this double double cruelty that you send somebody a vinegar valentine and you have them pay for it and this was used double burn. i know so cruel <laughs> humans um And this was used intentionally. Um, There were cards for abolitionists. There were cards for people organizing around women's suffrage. Um, There were cards for um, all sorts of characters in your town that you might have a little bit of strife with. Um, But seeing the patterns here, it also represents this birth of a culture where mass media was used to shame and police people's bodies create standards and ideals of beauty and popularize messages around love, dating, courtship, right? So some of these vinegar Valentines were about, you know, the old hags that were never going to get married or the old maids that were left unchosen um, or about women's domination over men. So they reflected the gender politics of the time about men who were being dominated and pen, pen, henpecked 
henpecked. <laughs> um, I almost said cuckolded, but that was probably in there too somewhere. Um, so the vinegar valentines and the fact that in 1847, it was half of all of the valentines sold. And valentines were a huge industry for the early publishing industry in this country. And the cynical flip side to Valentine's Day has also always been with us because some people feel really alienated from this holiday and kind of have an F Valentine's Day attitude. And I think that's in some cases really appropriate. And there's always been a way to express that. Um, But yeah, so the vinegar Valentine's are a really interesting chapter in Valentine's history that kind of go overlooked. And we will share again some of those at pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day, some of my favorites. So then this industry grew, this industry of Valentine's Day and gift giving and card sending. And today it has exploded into the second biggest card sending holiday, second only to Christmas. Um, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. So we have done this kind of epic journey from the rites and rituals and very carnal, physical, uh, erotic, communal rites of Lupercalia, whatever they were like in person. You know, as soon as we invent a time machine, I'm going there. Um, from Lupercalia to the Catholic sainting of St. Valentine, a martyr who stood for chaste romantic love, Um, Because remember at the time, Christian weddings were supposed to be sexless. This was the beginning of that you marry God and you reproduce with your mate in as pleasureless way as possible and the control of reproduction and sexuality through the church um, was all wrapped up in this um, and can be seen in St. Valentine, this beheaded martyr who stood for Christian love and the reproductive family over all else. Ecstatic communal ritual. (laughs) Yeah, that. Um, And how that was then mapped into the elite of Europe. You know, the Holy Roman Empire was this project of taking over vast stretches of land and the rural pagans of Europe and standardizing a culture. And how they did that was through the elite, this wedding of... When I say the court earlier and court culture, let's just name it for what it is. That is the highest elite of the church, the state, the royalty, the universities um, who were creating these cultures of domination that we are now kind of just waking up from and like realizing the harm done. Right. This was the beginning of that, of how are we the few going to control these vast stretches of land Um, collect taxes, control this huge economy, and control the culture. We've done another episode about the history of masturbation where we talked a little bit more about this stretch of history, um, and that really resonated with people. I still get so many emails about that episode because it connects the sex-phobic history of these systems of domination and how they use the body and sex to deploy systems of domination Um, down to how we masturbate and how we think inside our heads, right? To how we masturbate today and kind of the shame and secrecy and silence many of us masturbate with. I digress. So it's all connected, right? Like in this episode, we hope you've seen the dots being connected culturally. And now I want to talk about modern Valentine's Day. And so we had the mass commercialization. And if you, like me, are a child of, you know, the 80s, the 70s, 
you remember this as the Hallmark holiday. It's going to the grocery store, the drugstore, and buying a biggest box of chocolate. And the bigger the box of chocolate, the more you love the person. Obviously, you buy the stuffed animal. And again, the bigger the stuffed animal, the more you love the person, obviously, because the more you spend. And now we go to Walmart and you see stuffed animals that are the size of entire rooms. And I don't know where people put these things. But the bigger the stuffed animal in the box of chocolate and sometimes even the card, you know, you see these outlandish size cards Um, here in America, the bigger, the better. But the culture of this holiday became spend more to show you love this person expect more so this is one of the biggest days for tiffany and company right and we could do a whole nother episode about the diamond industry and how they manufactured the diamond as a symbol of love literally as a marketing campaign as a branding advertising campaign and one of the most successful of all time and cemented this into culture so people expect their loved one to spend at least a few hundred dollars if not a few thousand dollars once a year to show you how much you love. We can see the flaws with this plan. This is not what love looks like or feels like for most of us. And I don't have to really say it, but here on Pleasure Mechanics, we're all about those daily acts of love, the culture of love you live in, the culture of your relationship that you reinforce every single day together. And then maybe you can celebrate with a big bang on a holiday once in a while. But Our culture kind of became, this is the time you buy a card that vaguely expresses how you feel. You buy roses um, and you express your love that way. And for a lot of people, the pre-packaged nature of it, right? And I talk about the commercialism so much because that led to this culture of the pre-packaged nature of romance. Romance means red roses, chocolate, a card, candles, strawberries, right? Like there's the whole formula. And in that culture, if a those objects don't appeal to you aesthetically, it's just not who you are as a person, or they've been withheld from you, or you have all this built up expectation, and then frustration over the years, these objects can become toxic. They can be symbols of frustrated love of alienation from belonging of what you don't have. And that is hurtful. So part of our proposal now is reclamation and making it your own because it's going to come around every year, just like it has for the past 2,500 years since Lupercalia. And you can make it your own. You can make it a carnal ritual rite of time, right? Like surviving winter with this like carnal rite you look forward to. You can make it a day of full on romance and love and poetry and devotion. You can make it a day of self-love. Um, do you want to jump in? I want to talk about Galentine's Day and self-love day and some of the more recent kind of Yeah, I just, I just want to add to that, like, the, there's just so much disappointment around Valentine's Day. And it's so painful um, because of what we think other people are experiencing or getting or have more of. And that is just so unnecessary. Um, and and hurtful and the packaging of the the prepackaging of the romance like how do we make it more personal how do we make it fit your values your what you want to honor in life like who you want to to have a celebration for like what aspect of love romance connection community even this is a, it doesn't even have to be just for romantic love um or just a celebration of yourself and your own erotic 
brilliance and a desire for exploration. We can ritualize absolutely anything and we see through history that people have and so we can too. We can make and recreate culture. We inherit something, we can shift and change it. And again, these symbols, I'm kind of flashing back to one of our very first dates, Charlotte. It was the first time I was in your home and I saw you had a cup of chocolate truffles next to the bed when I came down to your bedroom for the first time and you had candlelight on the table and you had champagne and, you know, we had known we were coming to your house for the first day and I kind of was like, whoa, 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 I don't need all these trappings of romance. I don't need the truffles and champagne. And you looked at me and laughed and you were like, this is for me. I do this every night. (laughs) (laughs) That was a stage. I lived in the Redwoods. I drank a lot of champagne. I really loved that. And you were in this just like self-love erotic phase where you like had the things you liked on hand and it wasn't about me at all. And that was one of these like really refreshing moments of honesty on the very first date where we started talking about what do these things mean to us? What do flowers mean to you? Um, And so if you're listening to this, if you're a solo person, what is your relationship to romance culture? Um, I know we have some like asexual and aromantic listeners in the house um, who have been kind of bullied by this culture their whole life and told been told they're supposed to like something they don't like, you know, and that's the wait for it hegemony of heteronormativity the hegemony of heteronormativity hegemony meaning like the broad cultural application and domination of a certain narrative and the enforcement of that narrative heteronormativity where you know we're coming out of this a little bit but there's still a hegemony of romance and couple culture and being told that we're supposed to want the one and only And we're just starting to find roads out of that, too, where we're exploring different kinds of relationship structures and that your sexuality and your romantic orientation might not be the same thing and getting great new language about that and new understanding so people can find themselves in this place. So it's all about getting specific. And this is an idea we talk about a lot on pleasure mechanics. But when you get specific and honest and you say, I love flowers, but not really roses, and I'd actually much prefer a potted plant, thank you very much, you get what you want. And when you can say that out loud to your lover, like, I love being brought flowers, but I'd so much prefer a potted daffodil this time of year. So skip the expensive roses and buy me daffodils and tulips, please. Right? Because Um, what we want is the experience of somebody feeling loved and somebody feeling cared for. And when we pay attention to who that person is, it is, of course, much more meaningful. Yeah. And one of the episodes we'll link to is specifically about gift giving through the lens of love languages and specificity. And how do you know you feel loved? What is that experience of, oh, I feel really loved, taken care of right now, wanted, worshipped, cherished? How do we operationalize that? Like first in our own self-awareness and then for the people who want to care about us. And again, not just our romantic partners, our friends who talk to us. and are like, well, if there's anything I can do for you, you're having a hard time, let me know. How can we all have an answer to that so we know how we can feel more loved? One of my favorite new questions, not new, but one of my favorite questions that I've been asking more people is how can I express love to you right now? How can I show you love? What would being loved look like to you right now? Um, And even asking that to myself, like what is the most loving next act? So if you can't tell, we love love (laughs) here at Pleasure Mechanics. (laughs) And so we've made Valentine's Day our own. 
Wait, you were going to say something? Well, just also that we we love roses. We named ourselves Rose. Literally, we you named know. ourselves Rose. And we love chocolate. But listeners chocolate. might not know that. So when we, a few years, uh-huh. many years ago, gosh, <laughs> halfway back in our 15-year relationship, um, when we decided to really root down as a family, um, start thinking about having kids, we took on a family name. And neither one of our birth names was appropriate for that. And so we had to think of a new name. And after many, many iterations, we came to Rose is our chosen family last name. Um, And we chose it as a symbol of love and beauty and passion and all things good in this world. Yes, totally. (laughs) And when we say it to people, one of the things I like about that name is it almost universally uplifts people. Um, When I say my name, people smile. And I say Rose like the flower, like it really uplifts people. And that's because of this history of layering this flower and the image of the flower with so much meaning. Um, But we all have a different relationship to that meaning. um, And we can make these things our own. So I just want to mention some of the more modern reclamations of Valentine's Day. Um, In 1996, 97, an artist named Eve Ensler started a play called The Vagina Monologues. And with it kind of declared Valentine's Day V-Day as a day against violence towards women all around the world. And she encouraged productions of the vagina monologues as fundraisers for this. And 22 years later, V-Day is one of the largest anti-violence organizations in the world. And so that to me is really a story of how one person's creative vision and intention can then catalyze a movement and an interesting footnote to then is she just recently stepped down out of leadership of that organization and decentered her own work from the organization so it can tell a new story right and so it's being remade again after these past 22 years to do its work now in the world which i think is so beautiful in Parks and Recreation, a concept named Galentine's Day was uh, initiated, which was a celebration of female friendship and love. And Galentine's Day has now kind of taken off as a counter celebration, a sister celebration to Valentine's Day. And even more recently, it's been declared to be the season of self-love. On February 13th. Solo Lover's Day. <laughs> So it all counts like we can. These are all examples of recreating and making new rituals, ceremonies, festivals with other people, with community members outside of our romantic partnerships with ourselves. And what would it look like to celebration? We've just started celebrating by sending cards to everyone we love. Um, as a way of broadening it outside of romantic love. But like, have it, we love love, we love hearts, <laughs> we love chocolate, we love roses, we love all those things. But we also want love to be about community. Mm. And so that's become our ritual. We don't send Christmas cards. This is our thing. Um, because we do love love. And we want to share more of it. So the question becomes, what do you want to celebrate this year or as a tradition moving forward, um, alone with your family, your loved ones, your community, What is meaningful to you this time of year? And, you know, you can take the attitude of the vinegar Valentines and kind of have a cynical anti-romance culture and get political about it. And then what's beyond that for you? You can talk about the importance of community and friendship instead. 
or you can go all in with the romance and really make it personal and about devotion and about you specifically. And again, at pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day, I'll offer some prompts for writing a simple love letter. Um, Because I love love letters. Like I love a good love letter. And so I write a lot of love letters. And there's some kind of ways you can structure a love letter that even if you're not a writer, it can bring you into attention and focus with what you love about this person specifically. You can go back to these pagan roots of Lupercalia and decide that once a year you're going to get a little bit more ritualistic and carnal with your sexuality and maybe go outside on a cold winter night and howl a little bit or play with a little bit of kink and thrill uh, just to warm the winter's nights. And I know we have a lot of Australians in the house and it's summer there. We send you love. Um, My sister's in Australia, so we have um, kind of a lot of conversations about the world turned upside down. Um, But for us here in the, you know, there's three feet of snow on the ground right now, a holiday about the warmth and passion of love feels really good for me in this season. And that's something as a family we've really been exploring is how do we anchor our traditions and holidays in what our bodies need and want from each season and what's around us, what's available to us, what do we want to be doing? Um, So we spent January making cards for people and writing lists and getting in touch with our friends to gather their addresses. And that's felt really good as a thing to do leading up to Valentine's Day. Um, Just like for Thanksgiving, we make it all about gratitude. And then we start gathering gifts for all the people we're grateful for and then make December a giving season. Um, So how do you make this your own? And we really want to invite you into that. I've collected as many resources as I can for you at pleasuremechanics.com slash V-Day. All sorts of invitations and um, little engagements to explore all of the different ways you can explore this holiday and celebrate it with the people you love. Um, Courses for people who want to go deeper into intimacy or people who want to experience a thrashing of their very own. Um, And shout out to the flogging, you know, flogging is one of those things that because of sex positive culture and doing this job, I discovered and I love and my body loves. uh, And it has nothing to do with feeling pain. It's like such a wonderful release. And I has no surprise to me that they used it as a purification ritual. So do I. Um, So maybe you want to explore some of that with us. Um, However you explore the coming holiday, I really invite you to make it your own and create a culture and a ritual that supports you in feeling loved and feeling belonging and feeling worthy of all of the pleasure and devotion and celebration that you wish that you want with your whole body and soul. We love you. We're so grateful you're here with us. It's so nice to be back on the mics. I am smiling over at Charlotte to be back in the studio is a real treat. Um, parenting tip I bought my daughter a tablet computer finally she's six and a half we waited <laughs> and she actually came to me and said mother I think I'm responsible enough for a tablet of my very own I was a daughter I need more time so you're on she's been learning <laughs> Spanish on it and doing some engineering games and she's brilliant and we love her and thank you for being with us through these early years of parenting There are some podcasts where you can hear her sleeping on Charlotte's chest as we recorded. 
um, we have done our very best to be full-time moms, now full-time homeschooling moms during the pandemic, and to be with you as the Pleasure Mechanics. We are in our 15th year here at PleasureMechanics.com, and we love you. We are devoted to your joy, your pleasure, your experience of being loved in this world. We hope to keep celebrating with you. Let us keep celebrating and learning more about love and eros and connection and see what we can unfold and unpack together to create more of all of Mm. that. Create more pleasure. Let's go to Lupercalia together. I know. Can you, I mean, don't humans need that kind of erotic communal ritual? This is what is lost. Like, it's so... And we might be romanticizing a little bit, but we can just make our own version of it in yeah. the future. That's I'm sure the with thing. everything, there was some not so great parts and maybe there were some ecstatic parts, like with all, all things human. Not so good human. for the goats, but we can yeah. make our own rituals going forward and celebrate and revel in one another's flesh in so many ways let's Mm -hmm. do it we love you we're here for you pleasuremechanics.com for all of it pleasuremechanics.com slash v-day for resources devoted to this time this festival of love pleasure and the rights of the body Mm. we love you i'm chris i'm charlotte we are the pleasure mechanics wishing you a lifetime of pleasure (laughs) 